Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm getting a chance today to chat with Dr. Dan Snows. He's a chief executive officer of ESU3 and the newly appointed central region representative on the executive council for AESA. Uh, and we're going to be talking really about those roles in that uh, organization, the uh, Association of Educational Service Agencies, uh, which is really our affiliation nationally. And so I guess I want to say this ahead of time. As a classroom practitioner and someone who came out of a local district, I was not necessarily aware of the full scope of what a service agency does within a region, definitely not across the state or our country. Uh, And so it has been inspiring to get a chance to learn more about all the things that are going on at this unique level in our educational system. And I'm grateful to Dan for visiting with us today to shine a little bit more of a light on that. So Dan, thanks for joining us on the pod. Yes, glad to be here. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. And so uh, I guess to start with, will you speak a little bit to your role at ESU3 for those that are not familiar with that chief executive officer's position? Okay. So my role at ESU3, I'm, I'm just like a superintendent of a school district. So we have an eight-member board that's uh, my supervisors. In our region of ESU3, we have 18 school districts. They range in size of 300 kids up to over 24,000 kids. Um, So we have all different sizes. My peer group are the superintendents of those 18 school districts. That's my network that I work alongside with. Our main focus is to provide services to those districts many of those services that some can't provide uh, without us being there. And so by statute, uh, we're required to provide services in professional development, so professional learning to a lot of teachers and administrators. Uh, Second one is technology. So, for example, all of the internet traffic of our school districts all runs through our building and all of our connections, and we help making sure everybody's networks are running fine. So you can imagine when the internet goes down, uh, we usually hear about it pretty quickly. Uh, We also know that on any given day, 115,000 plus devices could hit our network because those 18 districts serve over 85,000 students. So when you add in everybody else, and you know, a lot of people have more than one devices nowadays, it can expand in a hurry. And so bandwidth, making sure things are working right, making sure nobody's hacking in, all the cybersecurity controls, just everything that goes with that. And then the third piece goes with instructional materials and technology materials and media materials. And so if you think of us back in the day, we were where all the old film strips used to be mailed in and out of every day to school districts. And now, of course, everything's done digital. So we help with that a lot to our school districts if it's purchasing or making sure things are available. And those are what's required of us statutorily, but we also have a number of other programs that we offer, and probably the biggest growth area has been in special education. Our student services department works with kids from birth to five. We have a uh, Sarpy County Head Start program that we help run, so we work with a lot of three- and four-year-olds. And then we have a Brook Valley program that serves special needs kids. And we get about 100 kids bust into these two buildings every day from all of our 18 districts. We have expert teachers over there working with their kiddos. And uh, that goes up to age 21. And so we're really birth to 21, helping our districts with all the special needs that they have. 
And then we have a variety of other smaller programs. Uh, Gifford Farm, we have an ag educational program. We have driver's ed program. We have a Title I program. Uh, we just have a number of smaller ones just to fit the needs of you know where we're at. And then we're also a member of the SUCC, which is the Educational Service Unit Coordinating Council. And so we help with statewide projects across the state of Nebraska with 17 of my colleagues and other ESUs. See, I told you, this is what's so inspiring about what's going on at this level. When you hear Dan go through all the different services uh, and the ways in which our service agencies statewide are stepping into those needs areas and trying to do what's best on behalf of schools, both uh, with regards to resources and then making those fiscally responsible uh, by sharing and connecting and leveraging expertise when and where it makes sense to do that. And I was not aware I mean, those that have listened to the podcast, I saw the ESUCC, it's educational service units here in Nebraska, but they go by different titles in different states. And so even across the river in Iowa, we have AEAs there uh, with the area educational agencies. And so to have the kind of the national collective under that AESA moniker, and we're getting into some of our alphabet soup here that can be <laughs> these types of pieces in education, we're all tied through that association of educational service agencies. And so can you talk uh, to the backstory of that association that we are a part of? So if you go back a little bit historically, so back in the 50s and 60s, when they were talking about ESUs, they were also talking in many other states about intermediate service agencies. And so they all kind of developed at different times and over the years. And initially, educational service agencies was part of the AASA, which is the American Association of School Administrators. And uh, so this group was kind of an offshoot of them. And then over the years, they've had up to 45 different uh, states have had different ESA type organizations. And then about 1999 was the last time it kind of redeveloped into the AESA, which is the Association of Educational Service Agencies. And that's the current form that it is today. And so they kind of have the same basic role that we serve as educational service units in that on a national level. They want to be able to fill the gaps that we need as a state associations to help fill some of the roles and have a national presence. And that's kind of what excited me about trying to join this nice group of directors. And to which, yeah, you've got the opportunity to do that and be an advocate for not only the work that's gone here in Nebraska, but then also for this level in education across our country. And so maybe let's press into that a little bit more. So what do they do at that particular level? Because each state is a little bit different in terms of what their service agencies are asked. Is that correct to say even? Yeah, you know, every one of them is kind of designed on how the state wanted them to be designed. As I mentioned, they designed ours to focus on professional development, technology, and media was really the main three. And then they just kind of developed over time. There are some service agencies that are all entrepreneurial. So they sell all their services basically to all the other school districts and they have experts in their field and they go around and find out what the needs are of their school districts. And then they produce the product for them and they try to do it at a reasonable cost and an efficient cost to help out the school districts. There are some that are formed just as a cooperative and they might have just a certain need that they need to fill. It could be a cooperative school district, could be like I mentioned with Brook Valley Schools. And so there's some in that area that just fill the need. And there's some like us that were put together statutorial 
you know, and said, this is what you need to provide. So kind of three main areas that they target. But again, in those three areas, there's just a variety and there are no two the same. Then what would you say are some of the strengths uh, of our particular system here in Nebraska as it pertains to the ESUs? And and recognizing that all states would have a strength, right? It's not necessarily to elevate one or the other, but, but what do you feel like showcasing in the structure that we have? I think that's a great question. Um, it's always kind of nice when you go to national meetings and you come back and you say, I kind of like the way Nebraska does things. I think one of the strengths that we have is, first of all, we have a legislatively put in place educational service unit coordinating council with an executive director. So we're one of about 14 states that actually has a state organization to help bring the ESUs together to work on statewide projects. And with that, we have an executive director that brings us all together. We meet almost monthly and talk about all the different things that uh, not only we can do together regionally, but things that we can do together on a statewide focus. The other interesting piece, and I, I don't know of any other states that have the connections that we do, is that through the state statute, when they developed the ESUCC, we are mandated to meet with the Nebraska Department of Ed at least twice a year, and we find that's not enough. And so we have uh, built great connections, a good network with our people from NDE, and that allows us to kind of know what's going on. Now, is communication always perfect? Nope, not perfect either way. But we're really working on continuing with those relationships and trying to grow that over time. I think we're pretty unique to that. And I think that allows us to be working right alongside our school districts and help them out as best as we can with their teachers and their kids. Uh, you know, we could even point to this podcast as one of the ways in which the CC is working on trying to uh, unify us under common narratives and initiatives and uh, just make sure that we're, as you said a moment ago, facilitating those conversations and not, not just within our network, but also with the Department of Education who uh, chatted with some of those folks today even. So you're right. It is fun uh, to all be on the same page as best we can. And okay, so you clearly wear a ton of hats within ESU3 and responsibilities as part of the coordinating council statewide. And then, as we mentioned from the top, recently we're recognized with this honor of, of being the representative for the central region on the executive council for AESA. So talk a little bit maybe to the backstory behind your interest in that role, and then we'll get into what responsibilities that position has. Okay, great question. So this is my eighth year with ESU3. And so when I joined ESU3, when I was hired to come in here, then looking at the different committees and the structure for the ESUCC, I had several mentors that were current ESU administrators ask me if I would be interested in joining or taking a position up on the ESUCC executive committee, which is one of the four current committees. And so within a year or two, I was appointed as treasurer, and then for a couple of years, I served as the president-elect, and currently I'm in my first year as president. Now, in my first couple of years of being part of the ESUCC executive committee, uh, one of the members that was here, Jeff West, who was the executive director out at ESU 13 in Scotts Bluff, was currently serving as a board member on AESA's executive council. 
And when I was asking him a little bit more about it, he filled me in on what they do, what the role is, their presence nationally, and kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, um, after he was going to be done on the board, you have to wait a year. Each state has to wait a year. And then said, I think you need to run a couple times and see if you can't get on the board because it's just a great organization to work with. And so as things played out this past year, I ran for the board from the central region and in January was elected. And then in March, officially I attended my first board meeting and was placed on the board. So I'm pretty excited about being there. Well, that's terrific. And to think too, again, that it's only been a few short weeks since you had your first meeting, but what have you noticed so far? What are you excited to press into by being in this role? Well, the first thing that I noticed right away is everybody on the board, and there are 12 board members. So there's three from each region. So we have a, a Southern region, a Western region, an Eastern region, and then we're in the Central region. And there's three board members from each region. And each one is there because they're there to help out. They're there to network. They're there to be part of something bigger, to get that national exposure. So the very first thing was all the networking we were able to do. And so when you got through some of the business topics of the agenda and got down to, hey, what are the things that are really, you know, the fire is burning the most right now? And you could say, well, you know, equity. You could say mental health issues. Uh, you could say leadership. What about developing leadership? What about the superintendents that are feeling beat up by everything that's going on, you know, politically? How are we going to continue to help them? What about our own staff? Staff shortages all across the country, finding enough teachers for their schools, finding enough administrators, finding enough good staff for their ESAs. And so just a lot of those topics came up. Um, you know, finance and budget always comes up because uh, you know, none of us are well-funded and we really have to be very efficient with the dollars that we come in budget-wise. But really the networking and the friendships that I've already developed just in my first meeting, and I knew a few of them on the board, but getting to spend three days with them really helps to get down and start talking about some of those topics of what's really causing the most heartburn at night and what's really kind of exciting things moving forward. And I would imagine with those connections, they're going to be unique and not necessarily, again, to elevate one conversation or another, but unique approaches or solutions to some of the issues that are nationally prevalent in education. And by being a part of those conversations, that's a real opportunity to bring back some of that learning and those strategies, et cetera, and share those in our state. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say so. I think it's important. And I think Nebraska is looked at as being one of the top five leaders in education in the nation. And I think being able to be part of those conversations at the national level, but also to be able to learn from others, um, because some things sometimes they're dealing with on the coasts, maybe haven't hit here just yet. And it's kind of nice to have a heads up that, hey, this might be coming. Well, what also would you say are part of the responsibilities uh, of this role? So you kind of talked uh, briefly about the benefits of being in that position from a communication sense, but uh, what is going to be asked of you as being a part of the executive council? So very much, very much the same as the things that a school board would have to deal with or an ESU board would have to deal with. So number one is dealing with policies and procedures and governance and overlooking everything that's going on. Uh, number two is budget. 
So we're going to take a look at the, uh, the everything's audited. Um, you have dues coming in from ESAs from 45 different states, making sure everything is up to up and that you have enough money coming in, even though, again, they try to be very efficient with their dollars, um, but make sure everything gets covered and things get paid. Number three is, and probably one, well, there's two really key ones coming, uh, is to make sure we hire, evaluate, or keep and contract with a good executive director that runs. And currently, Joan Wade is the executive director of AESA. And so part of her evaluation process, part of her contract, moving forward to make sure we have good staff running the organization. And then the last one that I'm even more excited about, because, you know, evaluations aren't always that exciting, is planning. And so a major role of the board members are planning the three major events that they have that happens throughout the course of each year. And what I found out is that the three of us that were elected at this last cycle that joined the board the three of us get to plan the 2024 National Conference. So the three of us will be the main three on the planning committee for that conference. So kind of starting to feel the pressure already. I didn't know that, you know, coming in that way, but it's kind of cool when you think about that. We get to start looking at themes. They already have the site picked. And then to, you know, be around at every one of the main three events to help host, to help guide, to help introduce to help do whatever needs to be done to make these events run smoothly. So kind of excited about helping out. Yeah. And when you alluded to it there, uh, when we talk about those big three events, can you break that down a little bit? Yep. So every summer they have a, what's called the summer leadership conference. And so summer leadership this year is going to be held down in Nashville and it's for members of any uh, service agencies that want to attend, they usually get between 100 and 200 people. It's a much smaller conference, much more intimate, but they really talk about all the things you can do to develop yourself as a leader. So that's one event. And again, it's in, in Nashville here this summer in July. Uh, the second one is called the Educators Call to Action. And this is where we send a group, as many people from each state that wants to come out, and we go out to Washington, D.C., we meet with the lobbyists, uh, we get to meet with a variety of people out there, and then we get to spend a day on the Hill and visit all of our members of Congress from each state. And then we follow up that by coming back the next day and sharing out what we've seen and heard and from all of our conversations and discussions. And the last couple of years, as you, can, as you know, has been kind of touch and go, whether you're actually been able to get into and meet with your members of Congress because of COVID and the restrictions. So we're really looking forward to that, getting back more and more in person. Um, and I've had the opportunity to travel out, I think, the last four years to that conference. And it's very, very, very eye-opening with all the work that's being done um, or not being done in Washington, D.C. And then the last one is our big national conference. And this usually occurs right towards the end of November, December, kind of the week after Thanksgiving. And we had to do a couple of virtual ones this past couple of years. And this uh, last December, we were able to hold that in person. And so it's nice to get everybody back together. And again, uh, networking is key in those events. And so you get to meet different people from all across the country. And then we have people like you that uh, you're coming in and presenting. And so we have lots of presentations. 
And I'm lucky that my board at ESU3 has really encouraged us to have a statewide presence and a national presence at these conferences because they would like ESU3 to show the, the type of leaders that they have in the organization. So I encourage my staff to uh, get out there and submit for proposals for presentations every year to get them out there to not only showcase the work we're doing, but also it gets them to the conference and they learn from many others. Uh, I, yeah, as you mentioned, had the good fortune to be able to go for the very first time this past year. And I was just floored at the quality of the sessions and the relevance of those to what is a pretty unique level in education. There are a number of professional development opportunities for like supporting classroom practitioners, for example, or, or if you're a principal, but to work in a service agency, there are not as many opportunities to feel professionally developed in that space in particular, let alone like exclusively, which is really what the conference is about, or at least it was my experience. And so that was, that was a lot of fun and one that I really valued a lot because it, it was so eye-opening to hear from people in similar roles in other states where you might not have those same kind of conversations without that community to be a part of. So uh, really grateful for that and all your leadership in organizing events uh, of that nature. And you said uh, earlier that these are put together with the members of the executive council, but also the staff. And I know like John Bass, I would assume would be one of those people as well. John's someone that's been active at the Future Ready Nebraska Conference. And so, yeah, it's a pretty small number of folks though, right? Yeah, interesting enough. And I found this pretty fascinating that uh, AESA really only has four staff members for a national organization. Now they contract with a lot of people. They have a lot of consultants. But as I mentioned, Joan Wade is the executive director. She's been on there for... I believe up to seven years, John Bass is the chief operating officer, and he's formally an executive director from one of the larger, and I'm going to get the acronym wrong, but one of the larger uh, ESAs in Texas. And so he was there for a number of years. Uh, Cole, I think it's Cardell, is their uh, chief financial officer. And then Ann Fine, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right is the administrative assistant, really takes care of all the details, making sure everybody's getting where they're going and does all the behind the scenes work for the national conferences. Again, they have a number of consultants and if you checked out their website, you can see a number of the consultants that help out. And then they rely on the board to fill in all the gaps and roles and, and do the work and be there. And I, and I think maybe that's a great example of servant leadership is that we're there to help out. And we want to make this a, a great organization and a great group for everybody. I absolutely love that. And I'm excited that we're getting the opportunity today to talk about this, to bring about a greater sense of understanding, awareness of the role uh, that AESA plays uh, in the work that we get a chance to do here in Nebraska, but how we're tied to that and supporting that as well. I guess as we kind of bring things a little bit towards a close here, can I ask, what have I not asked that I should bring up or that we should talk about on this topic before? Because I, I feel like there's a lot that I probably am not even aware of enough to even know to ask. Well, probably a good thing is just, you know, if they want to check us out on the website for AESA, it's aesa.us, and they have a number of services, a number of areas, and I was just happened to have a copy of their last action plan that they put together, and so the board works with different designers and works through the process, and a couple of their key ones, and I'll just read a couple of these off, but national advocacy, and so they want a national presence. 
uh, professional growth. So they're looking at developing ESA administrators into the best they can be. They also have a kind of what they call an executive and residence program where anybody that wants to maybe become a superintendent or become an ESU administrator can actually work with other current ESU administrators and practice and learn what the job is. And many of those go on to uh, get positions. Um, but they look at providing technical assistance. They're looking at providing research. They have an online feature that they call communities. And these communities are networking of different topics. So if you wanted to have a community on equity, you could join a community and then have conversations with others across the nation that might be asking the same kind of questions. And then they do a lot of work um, helping just any ESA that might be struggling in certain areas, whether it's financially, whether it's connections or network or whatever going on, and just kind of bring everybody together in a very helpful format. And at the same time, there's a lot of talk with uh, how, how are you going to keep things funding? And so they have really worked the last few years at marketing AESA better and having partnerships and sponsors to help cover some of the, you know, the cost of everything is going up. Mm -hmm. um, and so they have really vet their people that they work with really closely because if they want to promote them or say, hey, this is some people that you should probably look at with their products, uh, they want to make sure they're vetting and getting somebody really good. And so they kind of take a look at the whole picture of what all service agencies are doing, no matter how you're designed or how you're working. And so that there's something for everybody that this group offers. And again, I'm going to go back to the key word. It, it's the networking piece. It's the sharing of information. You know, we have some states that there's only one or two ESAs in the entire state. And so when you're in Alaska and you're one of a couple, that's, that's a pretty big territory. So you kind of feel alone. So for them to you know, feel part of a bigger organization, I think that's pretty important. It is certainly eye-opening to think about all the educators in the different parts of our country that come together for these conversations uh, and what unique opportunities are provided by AESA for making that kind of space and taking that time and those connections. So I would say, Dan, on behalf of ESU colleagues that I, I, I don't ever want to like speak for other people, but I do feel a deep sense of gratitude for uh, the role that you serve, not only at ESU3, um, but by taking on this responsibility and representing Nebraska and representing us as an ESU network in the role that you've been honored and charged with right, to serve. Uh, and so uh, thank you so much for sharing out today uh, a little bit more to help us understand uh, what AESA is about and think about that relationship between that and our ESU network here in our state uh, and for all your advocacy and hard work uh, towards bringing us all together on a national level. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad that you uh, invited me in and we had a chance to chat today. And just, to, you know, in my, maybe my closing message is, I think we're all pretty darn lucky to have good mentors as we've grown and, and worked our way through education. And a few years ago, it was still people tapping me on the shoulder to do things, but it's my turn to start tapping people on the shoulder to do things as well, because we need great educational leaders to take over after some of us hopefully get to retire someday. So, you know, when I talked to my family about the possibility of doing this. You know, my wife said, full support, let's go do it, have fun. If it works, it works. If not, we're just going to enjoy life. 
and uh, continue working through our careers at the best we can. So my way to give back a little bit. And so I feel very honored and blessed to have been selected to serve on the AESA board. And I am pretty excited about this opportunity. Well, congratulations. And uh, thank you so much for all your advocacy and the myriad of roles in which you serve uh, the education community at large. So, um, and thanks for taking some time to join us on the pod today. Yep. And thank you, Andrew, for inviting me.